0: Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In the Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
2: Hello, hello. Heritage Radio Network listeners, it's Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. I'm in a shipping container in the backyard at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and that means one thing. That means it's time for Tech Bites. Once a week we talk about the intersection of food and technology, and today we are talking about the effect of Instagram on the restaurant world. Before we get started, I always like to introduce everyone in the studio so we can match the names to the voices. First up, very important person who turns all the shipping container talk into an actual radio program is our special guest engineer Liz, who's Yay Liz. Hello. Who's running the deck back there while Jack is I think lost at Coachella.
3: Yeah, right. we haven't heard from him. We don't know if we'll see him again. <laughs>
2: We'll just have to follow, like, the Instagram feed and, and follow <laughs> the trail of breadcrumbs that he leaves ah, a for theme us.
4: theme for the show. Yes.
2: exactly. We also have in the back Declan, who's our radio intern.
0: Good afternoon.
2: Yay. Hey. And Ooh. in studio, very special guest today, we have Kate Crater from Food & Wine Magazine. Hi. Ooh. And Stephen Hall from the Hall Company PR. Hello there. Hey. Wonderful. So the first thing we do on Tech bites, we start the show like a good meal with an appetizer, and everybody talks about their current favorite app or an app they've just discovered. And it doesn't have to be food-related. It can be anything. Um, we also have participation from our tech crew in the booth. So, Declan, I think you're up first this week. Yes,
0: yes. What- uh- You put me on blast a little bit because I said Dropbox two weeks in a row. Um, (laughs) But this time, I'll go with uh, a DJ app that is uh, pretty cool. It's uh, basically a remote control for a program called Serato, which is used to DJ. And um, it's kind of something that could be used uh, in a quick, hot second if you didn't have your controller with you. It's got a sampler. It's got two decks on it. And uh, it's really cool. It's on the App Store for like $5. So...
2: That sounds pretty fun. It's, it's worth noting to our listeners that Declan is a DJ himself. So the radio cool. internship is, is helping out in a lot of ways. <laughs>
3: Liz, do you have a favorite app that you're using right now? I do, I do. I'm going to follow Declan's lead and go with another music-related app since I am a producer-mixer when I am not here. Um, but this app is called Music Math, and it's it's super dorky, but you know, when you're working with somebody and they bring you a really cool idea and they're like, hey, help me work on this music math, if you need to just find out the information of the song, it's a helpful tool. If you tap the screen along with the song, it calculates the tempo. It has a built-in tuner. It shows you the frequency for all the notes featured in the song, which is helpful for like EQing and so forth. It also helps you calculate delay times if you want to get really fancy with your music. So it's really saved me a lot of time and effort.
2: If, if I downloaded these two apps, could I teach myself to be a dj
3: <laughs> yes, absolutely we w- we would love to feature some tech bytes remix
2: maybe we'll do a, <laughs> maybe we 'll do a tech bytes remix show. We have so many musically inclined people in the studio, so that might be something to think about excellent, Kate, do you have a favorite app right now
1: I do um have a have an app that i 'm really interested in, but i don 't know the name of it, so Um, stay tuned for that. But it's a new coffee app that was all over my Instagram yesterday. A bunch of people were talking about it. It might be Jupiter Coffee or something, but it's a way to find great coffee places wherever you are. I think it's like the Uber of coffee mapping. And without knowing the name, I can tell you that it looks awesome.
2: Coffee mapping, United States, New York City?
1: I think it's actually
2: United States. Okay, helpful. Good to know. Sort of helpful, but We can check Instagram later (laughs) to find out exactly what it is. Stephen, do you have a favorite app right now?
4: You know, I'm not really that much of a follower of app, but I am involved with people that are developing an app. So can we talk about the one that I'm uh, I'm watching? And it's called Four Wheel Foodie, and it is going Mm. to track food trucks in real time. And it's going to be launching in a couple of months, I think. And it's very exciting because they've really developed the app so that people can... Not have to run after their favorite food truck, but they'll know exactly where it is when it's there.
2: So that would be helpful. So you can use your app to find your lunch, and then use the coffee app to have coffee. <laughs> after. Right, and you exactly. can find you can
4: key in what what you want to eat, and then what you want to drink, and then you can find an ice cream truck too. So
2: apps in development. That's good great. humor can... doesn't have
4: an app, right? Good humor I, truck. I, mm-hmm. I don't are there still think so. Such things? Okay.
2: I believe there are still good humor trucks, but I don't know if they have an. I don't know if there's an app for that.
4: i like that periscope app i think that's kind of cool i'm totally like the streaming thing is really really interesting i think and i'm very curious to see what people will actually watch other people do
2: i was at a dinner maybe two weeks ago and the people started streaming the dinner at the table just to show what it was um And it wasn't particularly interesting, the subject matter, but I think it was just more exciting to be able to do it.
4: I was at dinner the other night, and obviously being in Manhattan, the tables were very close to each other, and it was the day that the iPhone – is that what it's called? No, the iWatch (laughs) was released, and um, there was a guy at the table, and he had his phone right on the table, and he was watching – with his date, which I'm sure probably didn't go so well, um, but watching someone on Periscope or Mercado, one of them, play with their phone. So I said to him, you're really watching somebody mm-hmm. play with their new watch? And he said, well, I'm really pathetic because this is actually a six-hour-old episode of Periscope. <laughs> so I'm like, this date's going really well, right?
2: Oh, my goodness. Well, my app is Evernote. And I actually was forced to download it over the weekend when someone sent me a document that they wanted me to look at in Evernote, and I hadn't really used it. So it was a little bit of a discovery. And it seems quite similar to the Google Drive, Google Doc, Google G Drive dashboard that you have all of the work efficiency programs. But this one seems to be email agnostic. So Mm -hmm. if it might be a little more flexible and easier to work with people. I haven't really had a chance to kind of dive deep into if it can actually help my productivity. (laughs) I think the coffee app would probably help my productivity more. (laughs) More than (laughs) likely. Anyway, the app that we're here to talk about today, though, is Instagram. And Kate and Stephen were especially selected (laughs) for this exciting uh, roundtable discussion because they both have a, a very good... Uh, purview on the restaurant industry before Instagram and the restaurant industry after Instagram. Kate yes, Crater has mm-hmm. been with Food & Wine magazine for a good 20 years. Yep. She is the restaurant editor. Stephen Hall is the founder of a PR company in Manhattan called Hall Company PR, and they've been around since 1996.
4: That's correct. Which
2: is before the internet. <laughs> uh,
4: before a lot of things. <laughs>
2: So Instagram was released in 2010 and today it is available in 25 languages and they have a little over 300 million users worldwide which is 20 million more than Twitter. Wow. And wow. It, it's also having one of the largest growth rates. When Facebook bought Instagram in 2012 Instagram was growing at twenty three percent, and Facebook was growing at three percent. Wow. Just mm, that's to sort of frame that, so before Instagram, that was when we had faxes and newspapers <laughs> and books. <laughs> we still have newspapers, cookbooks, and I Dinosaurs think when you are in the world. yes, when you wanted to broadcast news or get news about restaurants, you either got a piece of paper or you had to physically go to the restaurant. Is that correct? Pretty much.
4: Yes, you would. I mean, you read it in the newspaper and then you would go to the restaurant and you would have a great time and you would uh, get to know your server or get to know your maitre d' (laughs) or get to know the restaurant owner. And there was no device sitting on the table that gave you access to tout your experience to the world.
2: Was that easier? Better? Harder?
4: Um, In my opinion, uh, it was... Uh, better because the restaurant was more able to have one-on-one experiences with their guests, and now there is something in the way of that one-on-one experience. Um, was it easier? You know, it was a different time, and there wasn't. It wasn't as worldwide as it is now. So the restaurant business was small. I keep telling everybody that when I started my company almost 20 years ago, you didn't leave the island of Manhattan for a great meal, except Mm -hmm. you came to Williamsburg if you wanted round matzah or a steak at Peter Luger. (laughs) You went to (laughs) Queens, to Astoria, if you wanted Greek food. And then if you wanted a great meal, you were in Manhattan. Now that their business has splintered and gone all over the place, which is fantastic, and all over the country, people need to know where they can go. So I think that... It's a great tool for people to use. It's just different.
2: Kate, how has it affected the way you learn about restaurants and find them? I think um, on
1: the flip side of that, I think it's been um, a a fantastic tool to use to see what's happening in Australia. For instance, if you sort of hear about a chef somewhere, then especially as an editor or a reader, you can look at that dish, you can sort of take it apart, you can look at the description of it, and you can see. I think for chefs, they have, um, they're have they having sort of mixed, mixed feelings about it because on the one hand, it's a fantastic way to get into a dish and to have a sense of what's going on somewhere in Japan. You can see the most gorgeous, exquisite um, presentations, whereas on the other hand, though, I think there's a sort of downside to it, which is that chefs think they can copy something just by virtue of seeing a picture of it. I mean, not not all chefs, certainly, but there are definitely some people who think they've recreated a Rene Rizepi dish from Noma in Copenhagen just because they've seen his vintage carrots, and that is definitely not a way to... I mean, you, you can't feel like you've really tasted that dish or had that dish just because you've, you've seen a picture of it. So I think the benefits of it are fantastic, but just, you know, visual, I mean, I love visual, I love, I'm so excited about Instagram versus Twitter. I love Twitter too, but I love Instagram, but I can definitely see how there, it makes things sort of superficial in a way that you don't get the three-dimensional or four-dimensional sense that Stephen was talking about too.
2: So the rate at which it can communicate information all around the world in real time from kitchen to kitchen and restaurant to restaurant is amazing but to your point then it just does it spawn just a lot of real-time copies like i think one of the great examples of that specifically is the cronut where Mm -hmm. the cronut was on instagram people lined up there it was and the first place to create a counterfeit cronut or reproduced cronut was in korea really Mm. and it was just a matter of weeks when they had the cronut all over korea and the first Cronut imposter I mm-hmm. saw in Manhattan was in the Korean bakery chain Perry Baguette mm-hmm. because they saw it, they understood what it was, and they recreated it, and then the trend really spreads.
4: Sure. I'm not surprised. It's also, I think, uh, an issue. And and I think it's true. You know, people can look and see, oh, I'm going there. I want that dish. It looks so good. But you go to the restaurant and that dish is not on the menu anymore mm-hmm. or it's a different season. And not that people get there. Oh, my God, it's I got to have that. It's just the most amazing thing in the world. But at least if it, if it gets them going, it's great because it gets them into a restaurant. And it gets a body and a seat. And I think that's a fantastic thing. I'm all for you know, butts and seats, as we say, mm-hmm. um, in the business. But I don't, I don't like when it disappoints people, and I think that that starts the restaurant experience off at a disadvantage sometimes.
2: So how how much does Instagram, and for you as well as a professional eater, Kate, how much does it set your expectation for the restaurant?
1: It's so funny. It's so funny because uh, um, you know I'm I'm so pro Instagram, but something that my friends and I, as we're Instagramming, we have a constant sort of um, conversation about is whether you Instagram a beautiful but disappointing dish. I mean, there's some dishes that are stunning and the egg yolk's breaking all over everything. And then, like, there's the green herbs over there. But it's not great. It's not a delicious, great dish. And so it's this crazy struggle. Like, do you Instagram that in case people people are going to be like, oh, my God. And you can also be honest. You can say this dish looks good. It's not as delicious as it looks, but no one ever does that. I mean, it's right. very, yeah. there's the very few chefs who talk about how disappointing a dish – I mean, not just chefs. There's very few people who talk about the disappointments of a dish that looks great because, really, you want people to drool. Like, Instagram's all about sort of humble brag and getting people to say, like, oh, my God, I want to eat that. And if you say, "Ugh," oh, you know, <laughs> looks good, not so good, people – people might not like it and then you're like oh my god they didn't like my picture. Right
4: and I think that's interesting because as a journalist you have a certain standard to live up to and people expect that from you and as a food journalist even more because Mm -hmm. people get to taste what it is that you're talking about so I think that that's that's interesting. I mean I take, I'm not a good photographer and I'm sort of like the guy who doesn't like to take pictures of things even on vacation I'm Mm -hmm. like a mental image guy. I think it comes from my father carrying too many cameras around (laughs) and um, um, and I took a picture of a dish that I loved at, um, can I say the name of the restaurant? Would sure. It matter? I, at uh, Via Carota. I mm-hmm. went there and had this delicious sliced raw porcini mushroom with Parmesan cheese and mm-hmm. dried blueberries. And I was like, the dried blueberries kind of threw me off. I thought, oh, that's going to be kind of strange. It was so delicious. So I took mm-hmm. a picture of it and I put it up on Instagram. And then I was like, I said, it tastes a lot better than it looks. because <laughs> And I didn't mean that as an insult to Jody mm-hmm. and to the food. Mm-hmm. I meant my picture. It tastes a lot better than my picture makes it look. But um, but I think it is about beautiful pictures. And I think that that, that is kind of interesting. You, well, know? You,
1: you definitely hear chefs now say, I mean, not all of them, but you definitely hear chefs say, oh, I threw a couple of those little herbs on top for the Instagram crowd. I think, I don't think that many, I want to think that not that many chefs, at least the chefs at restaurants I really want to eat at, are basing their dishes are designing their dishes just to have a picture taken of them. But it's definitely in the minds of some of them, especially ones that take because there's a lot of chefs that have super powerful Instagram feeds. And I think they're not always unaware of what they're doing, even just to garnish a dish.
4: Wow. That's- when that comes up as a course in the Culinary Institute of America <laughs> as to how to garnish your dish for Instagram, then I think mm-hmm. we know we're in a little bit of trouble, I have <laughs> to say.
2: We might be able to do an episode on that. But <laughs> right now is probably the perfect we can time for that <laughs> to find out who the sponsors are of this episode and listen to some new music.
4: following program was brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons. Edwards Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit edwardsvaham.com. We are students at
0: Girls Prep, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network.
2: Well, if you've just tuned in and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bytes on the Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from two shipping containers in Roberta's Pizza in Brooklyn. On Tech Bites, we look at the influence of technology on our culinary life, and today we are talking about the effect of Instagram on restaurants, the good, the bad, and the selfie. And we're talking with Kate Crater of Food & Wine Magazine and Stephen Hall from the Hall Company PR. And Kate just raised a very interesting point about chefs who are now considering what their food looks like on Instagram when they are coming up with plating and plating dishes and... You know it's an it's an interesting phenomenon for sure is is it just the next evolution of a chef being media savvy would you sort of look the same way at the chef who 10 years ago was you know trying to put the right ingredient or you know the right language on a menu because that's what the press and the people were looking for
4: I think that um I think that's interesting. I hope that chefs are more about their product and more about the quality of the food that they're feeding people. And chefs have always been into presentation. You know, a chef that I've worked with for a number of years, Katie Sparks, who I love dearly, she would always say, the chef is the most selfless of artists because our art is devoured so quickly. And the quicker it's devoured, the more you know how well you did. You know, with the plate, and I think that uh, people do eat with their eyes, and now this is just another way of them eating with their eyes. So chefs have always been um, into presentation. So I hope that they just continue to create great food that is plated beautifully, that people can really enjoy, and not necessarily think about how it's going to photograph.
2: Do you have clients ask you about how they should do things for Instagram, or if it's an impact, does it come up in their in your discussion Some, about? public relations.
4: Some are really into it. Some chefs are very into having their picture taken because the their food pictures of the food taken because they feel that's what identifies them. It depends on what they feel identifies them as a chef and as a person. Other people have a more, you know, well or a, a broader scope of interests and they will post about their broader scopes of interest, but some chefs are very very into their food and they feel like that is really their identifying feature. So yeah, they are the ones who care the most.
2: How do you how do you tend to counsel people, your clients about using Instagram? Do you use it to get publicity to encourage publicity to we,
4: yes we use it we we like when journalists take pictures more than when we take pictures because we Instagram under our company name and I find that people follow people more than they follow companies so Great. we really like when journalists go to our restaurants and take pictures of the food it also helps us know that they've been there in case they haven't told us in advance <laughs> that they're coming so that's always always a little good surprise like we can call a restaurant up and say so and so your restaurant right now because they just instagrammed that pasta. Um so we like that uh and yes, we do use it for publicity. We do tell our clients that Kate Crater instagrammed your dish and now it's been seen by her 33,000 followers <laughs> or however many likes you know she may have gotten or other journalists. So, I think it has become a form of media, but I don't Um, Like it when uh, people in the restaurant Instagram or do any type of social media before we've had a chance to do something broader with the particular item. Uh, If I have a chance to get more editorial press that that expands to a wider range of people, I prefer that they don't Instagram things first. So, Kate,
2: Kate, as a journalist, when you're deciding what to post, you're saying that you want to post things that taste as good as they look. And you don't want to say things that, oh, it doesn't taste very good. So it sounds like your Instagram feed is always something that's very positive. These things look good. You post them because you like them, because you actually had a great experience.
1: Yeah, I mean, at Food & Wine, we definitely walk on the sunny side of the street, and we're pretty positive on our coverage anyway. We, would, we don't, we're not in business to take down a chef or do a negative review. And so I do completely have that philosophy on Instagram the only problem being is that sometimes it's like a really cute guy, really good looking guy who you know might not be like you might know the problems but you still have to be like, Look at him you know, you see these dishes. I can see one in my head that I that I end up like I lost the battle with myself and I Instagrammed it and um and it was good. I mean it wasn't you wouldn't Instagram something bad, like you really can't, but every once in a while there's a dish and it's so pretty and you really you Put it out there, <laughs> you just
4: do. You can't help yourself. You
1: can't help yourself, you get exactly. Up. Hashtag can't help myself. There you go. <laughs> there
2: you That could be a new
4: one. That are you using a... that
2: one now? I'm about to. Excellent.
4: That's Excellent. how people will know now that you didn't exactly. love the dish, but you love the chef mm-hmm.
2: and you love something about it.
4: Yeah, exactly.
2: So, Stephen, do you ever actually pitch people to come in and Instagram and do pictures and do that kind of thing, or are you waiting for it to happen spontaneously? No,
4: we wait for that to happen spontaneously. We don't. Um, um, we don't use it as a pitch. Um, there are this, this there is a new word going around in the PR world, which is called influencers. and um, these are people that have that are not food professionals or that are not food writers, but that have a certain amount of followers on Instagram, and they are being treated like journalists in some way. Um, and in some cases, we will send them to some restaurants depending on the audience that they follow. That follow them and depending on the client. If the restaurant fits their profile of the people that follow them, then we will send them in to the restaurant and hopefully get some nice pictures. But if it's, you know, if 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 the connection, you know what I mean. If the connection isn't the same, then we won't to do be it. Yeah. To it needs to be copacetic. It needs to be copacetic. It needs it needs to work. It needs that if their followers are on a you know are, are a fans. bunch of pi- right mm-hmm. exactly. I'm not going to send them to Boulay. But if mm-hmm. they're prod- if they are pizza fans, I'll send them to a restaurant that specializes in pizza. Exactly. Or if they're very fashionable, if it's a very fashionable um, following, I'm not going to send them to a steakhouse in Midtown. I'm going to send them to a more fashionable restaurant that's downtown or here in Bushwick where their audience might go. I ultimately always want something to result in business for my clients.
2: Business for your clients.
4: It's very important. That's how I get paid. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> so Kate, have you noticed any difference about the impact of Instagram relative to your other media streams? Because you're very you have a very strong social media game. You have a good Twitter oh, thank game. You. You've been on Twitter for a while. You have Instagram Mm -hmm. and you were, you know, on the blog, the food and wine blog before. So you've been in the digital space for a while.
1: I feel I I think right now to me in restaurants, um, I think the most impactful thing really is is Instagram. I don't know if, you know, if you Instagram, if there's, for instance, there's the really cool edible schoolyard um, benefit party tonight. And putting that on Instagram, I'm not sure if it actually sells tickets, but I think it raises awareness. You see. Whether you see the picture of Dame Chang and Questlove from last year's party, I think it. It's. I'm not sure if it's completely actionable, but I think you feel a more direct connection to it than you would if you just read a tweet on, you know, if you just read a tweet about it. So I'm. I'm very. I'm very pro the power of Instagram. I have to say, speaking what Stephen was talking about before, influencers. There's a couple of fantastic, fantastic Instagrammers like. Pay Katron and Sam Harin and Daniel Krieger, who's my sort of um, Instagram guru, and they are paid by different companies. These guys have like hundreds of thousands of followers, like six-figure followers, and they, um, like the government of Turkey or a different or a jeans company, will pay them to take pictures. And they don't they don't dictate exactly what you take, but they will send them around the city or around the factory or give them access to things. And I think seeing sometimes those pictures on my feed, I find that very powerful. I think, wow, I really want to go to Turkey. I really want to go to Istanbul or down to the coast, or I'm actually interested in the Ford in the factory, <laughs> you know, Ford, like watching a Ford car get made because Sam Harin took this fantastic picture of it. So,
2: One of the really fascinating things for me about social media like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram is that even though you're using it really isolated pretty much by yourself, it's you and your phone and the picture and you're following people, the effect that it has really is that you're having a one-on-one personal relationship with whoever the person is you're following. So your 30,000 Instagram followers, when they see your feed, they probably feel like they're at dinner with you or you're sharing something with your day and they really have a relationship with you.
1: Yeah, no, it's fine. It's nice. Like I, I tend to post. I I go out at night and um I'll I usually post some ridiculous food that I didn't usually finish all the time, but it's, it's sitting there and it's usually looking. I have to say, like, I'm, I definitely like over-the-top food, and some people have told me that they look at my feed instead of eating dinner. <laughs> sitting there That's a good way to lose weight, I guess. Hopefully. It works. I wish it would work for me, too. But, <laughs> but I think, actually, as much as I live in the world of restaurants, it's a very powerful tool for people who are cooking. Like when Melissa Clark, our friend Melissa Clark, Um, does one of her great recipes in the New York Times every week, I inevitably see people, I will always see someone like make her coconut cake or something. And I feel like that goes viral in a certain way. Then someone will be like, hey, let's make that coconut cake this weekend. And even if they don't really, I think just having it in the conversation is really important.
4: I think it does inspire a lot of people to talk about it. And you're right, because I even in my office alone, there'll be following Kate, you on Instagram, or the people that work with me, or Melissa, and they'll be looking at where you've been, and that influences where people ha- do want to go, and I think that there's, a, so nice. there's also, there's a trust factor mm-hmm. uh, as well, and I think that it's great that you talked about what you talked about before, where are not, you know, where What's the new hashtag now that we have to look for? (laughs) couldn't (laughs) help myself. Couldn't help myself. (laughs) Um, Now I know that. Uh, But I think that there's a trust factor. And that is the – and that I think is the big dichotomy in the restaurant world and Mm -hmm. social media in general is who do you trust? You trust the
2: people who have – who share your opinion or who you look up to or who you – think you have a connection to.
4: Exactly, exactly. And that's why, you know, it angers us in the industry when You know, people post about an experience, not necessarily on Instagram, but on another type of site, post about an experience in the restaurant when they're sitting at, when, you know, then the restaurateur calls me up the next day and says, I can't believe these people posted such a bad review of us. They were having a fight at their table Mm -hmm. from the minute they walked in the door. (laughs) And that, I think, is the hardest thing to distinguish on social media when somebody is honest and when somebody is just. Ranting. You
1: right. know, just to say one more thing about Instagram, though, that that does bring it back to something that I, I truly love about Instagram is that it's overall positive. I mean, unlike anything else, you can say you see so many mean things on Twitter. You see, like, yes. Facebook can be ridiculous, and then, um, and who, knows, and we'll see what Periscope brings. But, um, but I think that Instagram overall is a really positive tool to show. Whether it's the chocolate chip cookies that you made on your Saturday afternoon, or the race that you just ran, or something, I think overall it's it's really it, it brings out like it, it's aspirational and it makes people want to do things. And I think it's I think on that hand, Instagram is fantastic. Because
2: I think everybody wants to look at something that looks great, right? The pretty mm-hmm. picture, the beautiful food. True. But I'll, I'll ask on the flip side of everyone knowing and the sharing and the experience: Is there a backlash to sharing? A party or an event that, as a publicist, maybe you didn't invite your entire media list to, and you invited Kate, and she posts a beautiful shot of a, of a dish at a party. Do you get backlash from people because then now everyone realizes? i didn't get invited <laughs> <laughs> or um, i didn't get the special dish right, or exactly. where was i i didn't I was, get that amuse. i was available <laughs> i was i wasn't busy
4: <laughs> right like tonight i'm not doing anything i go to that edible schoolyard party. Right? I'm, I'm, i am mad like, hey.
2: that Questlove didn't call me right
4: exactly i have a picture with him what's up <laughs> with like that um you know we don't we don't really get that much backlash from it um it's because it's mostly singular i find i don't like scroll 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 um and for more i don't know i always i always want to know like when people really spend their time looking at instagram and i really want to have that much time that i can actually stand there and like for an hour just scroll <laughs> through pictures cuz that's like so pretty to me you know mm-hmm. it seems like such a nice thing to be able to do so um I think that it's mostly about a personal experience that people post, and I think they use other things for like bigger parties. I don't know if Instagram is used for those small, uh, for, for for a bigger event. Um,
2: I think Instagram but, is used for pretty much everything, yeah. and I mm-hmm. think there's a reason why Insta bragging mm-hmm. is
4: uh, a word. Mm-hmm. God, it was something up coming up with so <laughs> many great words. <laughs> This well, Insta
2: bragging is a thing where people mm-hmm. specifically want you to know,
4: Right. Well, I got yeah. the
2: reservation at Momofuku Co., I'm mm-hmm. going to do play-by-play, here's every single dish, there's mm-hmm. Dave Chang, this is the wine that I drank, I'm so lucky...
4: You know, it's funny because I was at Nakazawa and, and I don't take a lot of pictures of food, but my boyfriend takes a tremendous amount of pictures of food and he was taking so many pictures that Nakazawa was like, stop taking so many pictures, you know. <laughs> and we were just like, oh, okay, we're never coming back here. <laughs> you know, and it was interesting because I think that there is that when do you know when enough is enough mm. on the, you know, p- taking of pictures of food issue. When do you know when enough is like when Like when I was at Via Curator and I snapped a picture of that dish, it was because I, I really wanted to share it because i thought it was so good and it it was just a a, a, a delicious tasting dish well, so you know, of, when do you stop
2: one of my early apps that i called out in an earlier show was the flashlight app mm-hmm. which is Yay. very helpful to favorite. light food favorite you turn on the flashlight app you can light the food everybody can uh-huh. take a photo pause but is yeah. do you think that there's backlash to the insta bragging?
1: Um yeah no I think I, I think I'm I'm very mindful of it at what point does it seem obnoxious at what point does it go from being something that people might be like oh I want to go there to be like oh I'm sick of her that's that it gets ridiculous and I have to say cuz sometimes I think people do know you know you tag your pictures where you are I've I have said that I was I'm um, too sick to meet somebody and then gone out to dinner so I will I'm mindful of like not posting that picture right away <laughs> <laughs>
0: Right.
4: <laughs> That's actually a very of... interesting point. You have you to have worry to be... about who you've turned down for that particular night. No, you do. It's it's, it's in my, my head. Then, yeah. I've,
1: I have to say I'm guilty of doing that. But, yeah, no, that flashlight app, I have to say in, like, in my Hall of Fame apps, I know we were talking about new favorites mm-hmm. earlier, in my Hall of Fame um, app is that flashlight app.
2: Wonderful. Well, we actually are, are running a little over time, but because mm-hmm. we're web-based radio, we can do that. <laughs> I'm very quickly going to ask everyone... I always like to ask uh, my guests for a piece of advice for our listeners. So, Kate, you take great photos on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Do you have quick advice for how people can be better food photographers?
1: Um, my my quick advice is to to be mindful. You you don't you really don't want to take to spend like twenty minutes taking pictures of your food because food, as we were saying before, is very you know you need to eat it. They serve it. When they serve it, chef serves it when they serve it because they want you to eat it now. But it's worth taking more than one picture. I would say take like two or three pictures and try a different angle because one of them is going to look better than the others. So without wasting too much time, get ready, like have your camera out, get ready, take your picture, and then start eating.
2: And Stephen, what would your advice be to people who want to try and build a social media following, become an influencer, and get paid by, you know the Turkish tourism board mm-hmm. to post photos of falafel. Um, I, I would be interested in that. I, I, I
4: totally would be interested in that too and I'm, I'm thinking about a second career in my head as uh, as you said that. Um, I... First of all, my, my big advice is don't just look at it on Instagram, go to the restaurant and eat it because we want people to <laughs> you know we want people to sit down and enjoy their meal. But I think just you have to be repetitive. I think that's the one thing about social media and Instagram and all of these is that the more you post, the more you get so gotta give action my, to get action that's, that's my well advice then, go out there and get that's it
1: that's another
2: yep. hashtag Jen yep. <laughs> give yeah. action get action okay right. stay, we just stay took tuned. up all those characters stay tuned <laughs> on Instagram for all the new hashtags mm-hmm. at K Crater thank you K K R A D E R and Stephen is at Hall PR mm-hmm. H-A-L-L-P-R. and I am at Tech Bytes H R N T E C H B I T E S H R N mm. and that's All the time that we have today for Tech Bites, I want to thank my guests Kate Crater and Stephen Hall for coming. So great, thanks, Jen. Thank you, Jen. Out to Bushwick, (laughs) and I want to thank everyone for listening and for Liz for filling in for Jack at Coachella. If you like the show, come back and listen next week Mm -hmm. and on Monday at one p.m. And if you really love the show, go to Kickstarter, find the Heritage Radio Network. Funding drive. We need to build a new website because ours is about to self destruct. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> not Ooh. a joke. All Hashtag right. not joking. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag mission.
4: <Yeah. laughs> Thanks for listening
1: to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website
2: today. Thanks for listening.